Amen, amen. Hey, grab a seat, and as you uh, grab a seat, get your Bible in front of you to Genesis chapter 2, about two pages in to God's Word is where we are, we are, where we are. and if you're watching from home, so glad uh, that you are here. Get a Bible in front of you as well. And uh, as you turn there, I want you to think about the first job you ever had. First job you ever had. So, you know, maybe delivering newspapers or working at a restaurant or uh, if you grew up in a house that uh, your parents had their own company, you probably remember from the time you were so small just working around there. But think about the first job you ever had. Uh, so this is a couple pictures of the location of my first job. It's kind of a grand rite of passage. When you hit junior high, you started working on the farm in the summers. And so Morning Star Farm in Lowell, Michigan was the site of the first job. You know, $5 an hour. I was rich. I was just rich that summer. And um, so many, as you think back to your first job, how many lessons about work were we learning right there in our very first job? Uh, you, learned, you learned a little bit of what hard work was. You, you learned that there are things you're more naturally good at. There's things that you aren't good at. There's things that frustrate you. You learned what it was like to work with sinners, right? And you learned you were a sinner too to work with, right? And so um, the first job, the very first job we ever worked, it began to teach us a little bit about this thing called work. Um, I bring that up because we are going to take a day today to slow down a bit. Last week we walked through all of chapter 2, and I wanted to come back. I added a week to this series because I, I wanted to take some time to really dive into the, what we see at the beginning of Genesis 2, this rhythm of work and rest work and rest. And so we're going to take a whole sermon today on work and on rest. And, and we've said throughout the first couple weeks of the study in Genesis that we're looking at the beginning. We're looking at the origins and origins orient. What, what I mean by that and what we've said every week is that if we can understand how God designed this, how God created us to operate as his creation, it will orient our lives even today, right down to the very details of how we think about structuring our week in regards to work and in regards to rest. And so uh, this is an, such an important message for us. Why? Because we all know, every single one of us in this room, we know on this, these topics of work and rest, we can become so unhealthily unbalanced to one side or the other. So there's those of us in the room today who are we're, we're work, like work, work, work people. And when you're not working, you're working. And, and if it's, you know, you go home and there's a home office and it's work and let's get after it and let's work. And then there's those maybe in the room today who are on the other side of the spectrum. You love the passages about rest and, and we can love them too much. And, and maybe rest for you has become not so much worshipful rest, but just laziness. And, and so it's so important that we come to a balanced and biblical understanding of what God teaches on the act of worship in our work and the act of worship in our rest. And now, let me just say from the top that the gospel frees us for a biblical understanding of work and rest. Do you, do you want to know something? You know what the gospel tells us? We don't have to become something in our workplace. We're not trying to earn anything. I don't got to achieve something. Guess what? Christ has already achieved it for me on his death, burial, and resurrection. It frees us to go to work going, Jesus has already won it all for me. Now I want to work out of that reality. 
I want to work to honor him because I am his. I'm robbing, I'm robbing some content from the first point. I better stop right now. The gospel also frees us to rest. Jesus has already won it for me. I can take a day. I can take the evening. I can, I can sleep at night knowing that I am his and that there's something about the moments I stop my hands where I can actually just enjoy being in his presence. So it's the gospel that frees us for a balanced and biblical understanding as it pertains to work and rest. And so uh, here's the big idea of today. Here's where we're going. Here's what I'm going to try to convince you of. Working six days and Sabbathing one day is our weekly rhythm of worship to God. Working six, Sabbathing one is our weekly rhythm of worship to God. And, and now let me just, let me, don't tune me out, okay? Don't you dare tune me out already. Because depending on your upbringing, you might already be having some reactions to this statement right here. Some of you are like, I don't get it at all. Some of you, you might not have ever heard any teaching on Sabbath. And so you're like, this is going to be new. Some of us might have grown up in a culture, a church culture. I have some loved ones. I won't say any names. They couldn't ride a bike on Sabbath. They had a pool in their backyard, couldn't swim in their pool on Sabbath. Don't even get me started, okay? So, so some of us come from like, the, like whoa, is, is, is pastor going to lay on us some legalistic Sabbath? No, 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 no. And we're going to get into that. But I'm going to lay out for us that I think there's a worshipful rhythm of how God has designed us to work six, to Sabbath one. And this is a weekly rhythm of worship to God. And so I want to break today into two parts. Uh, part one is going to be about the worshipful act of work. Part two is going to be about the worshipful act of rest. I have three questions I want to ask under each of those points. If you're not a note taker, I would highly recommend it today. Even pull out your phone, take notes on that, because there's going to be a ton of information in today's message, and I think it will be best digested as you're able to process that with a spouse or with your friend or someone after the service. And so a lot of info coming at you today, and I want you to be able to process this the best. So let me start right out from the top here. Let me give, give you the first point, and it's this. My work is good, and all God's people say, Amen. my work is good, and it's to be an act of worship to God, but let me give this disclaimer, but not worshiped as God. Work is a wonderful act of worship to God. Work is a really, really bad God. And I want us to see some things right here um, uh, that we see right in the created order. Top of Genesis 2, verse 1, says this. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his what? God finished his what? Come on, help me out. He finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Uh, this first point under the, or this first question under point one, why is it good? I'm making the argument that work is good. Why is it good? You see here in Genesis chapter 2, uh, three times it mentions that God rests from his work, God rests from his work, God rests from his work. Why is work good? Work first and foremost is good is because we have a working God. God was at work. And it actually says uh, that God delighted in his work. 
day one ended and, it, and God looked at all he made and he said, this is, this is good. And day two, he says, this is good. And day three, he says, this is good. All the way down to day six when God says, this is very good. We have a God who works and who delights in his work. And if we are image bearers of this God, then we too are also to be workers. And it's, and it's good when we have offered our work to the Lord to delight in the work of that. Uh, keep going, though. I'm, I'm not done on that point. Verse 5 when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to what? There was no man to work the ground. There's something right in the very nature of the created order that God designed the human being to work. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So when we create and cultivate, when we work and keep, when we create and cultivate, we image our God. God's a working God. He creates, he sustains, he cultivates, he redeems. When we work to create, when we work to cultivate, when we work to redeem, we are imaging our creator and he is worshiped. Now, a really important point on this. When you are working I, I, I want to break down kind of the barrier between secular and sacred. I was on the phone 10 years ago. The guy's yelling over the phone. He's so just in a bad place. With He's like, how in the world does my work bring any glory to God? When we, as Jesus followers, show up every day, have an ethical line of work, and whatever that may be. And when I talk about work today, I'm not just talking about the, the work you receive a paycheck for. I'm talking about the work that happens in homes all over our community. I'm talking about the work that we do. But when we show up and when we ethically work for the Lord and work hard, he is honored in that work. It is an act of worship that lifts up before him. So what that means is when the farmer plants and reaps, God is honored. And when the doctor serves and heals, God is honored. When the custodian cares and cleans, God is honored. When the mailman organizes and delivers, God is honored. When the truck driver loads and hauls, God is honored. When the hairstylist creates, God is honored. When the teacher teaches, God is honored. When the stay-at-home parent sacrifices and leads and loves, God is honored. When the administrative assistant administers and orders, God is honored. When the lawyer seeks justice, God is honored. When the construction worker forms and fashions, God is honored honored. We have to get this. God uniquely calls. He uniquely gifts. He calls us into a vocational calling wherever or whatever that might be. And when we do it, when we carry it out in a way that is pleasing to him, and we're going to talk more about that way here in a minute, he is honored. So why is it good? Why is it good? Because we have a God who works, and we are to be people who work in whatever that calling that God has placed on it. This is why is it good. But that leads me to the second question. Why is it hard? Why does it have to be so hard? Why has it got to be so frustrating? Why can't the days just come together a little bit easier? Why is it so hard? Answer, Genesis 3. And we'll see that answer next week. Sin enters the world, and God speaks some very specific curses over this broken world because of it. 
Uh, we will now work with thorns and thistles to deal with. We will now work with the, by the sweat of our brow. And work is hard because of the curse of sin. Equipment breaks. Things don't come together. We get tired, and then we get older, and then we get more tired. We get frustrated. We work with sinners. We are sinners. And this is why work can all get hard. A couple weeks ago, I'm just having a work day at our house, and um, uh, the day went like this. In the morning, I broke the sledgehammer. I quickly, after that, broke the pitchfork. I popped the tire on the wheelbarrow. I put a nail into the tractor tire, and then the tractor stopped working on me. And I just started laughing. I'm like, this is, this is work, right? Amen. This is work in a broken world. Now, that is a lighthearted example. Some of you are walking through much, much deeper frustrations as it pertains to work in this broken world. But this is why it is hard. We are people working, and with our work, wanting it to be lifted up as an offering to the Lord in the midst of this broken world in which we are living. And so what do we do? How do we worship God even in the midst of the days where things aren't going right? How I always think about it is this. Look back, look forward, look now. Look back, look forward, look now. So on bad days, bad work days, in frustrating moments, when we're going, why is this so hard? Here it is. Look back, look forward, look now. What do I mean by this? Look back. Lord, Help me remember right now, work was in paradise. Work was in Eden before sin ever came. Work is good. This isn't how it was supposed to be. That's looking back. Look forward. And Lord, one day we will know the joy of worshipful work in a new heaven and a new earth apart from the hardship of all this. When God creates this new earth, I guess what, I, I believe work's going to be part of it. And it's going to be awesome. We're going to get to know the joy of it outside of the brokenness of the curse of sin. And so we look forward, but then we look now. And so we say, Lord, in light of how you created it to be and how you're going to redeem it one day, help me right now with this issue, with this frustration, with this circumstance, walk through it in a way and with an attitude that is pleasing to you. Look back, look forward, look now. But work, at times, is just flat out hard. It leads me to the third question under this. How should we work? How should I work? How should the Jesus follower work? Uh, the first thing I'd say about this is hard. We should ha be hard workers. We should work hard. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. The gospel reminds us that ultimately our work is an offering to the Lord. Whatever we do, we work at it with all of our hearts for the Lord. Not just when the boss is looking, not just when other people are looking. This is work for the Lord. Everything is. Everything I do. I can mow the lawn to the glory of God. Everything. Uh, a second thing I'd say is this, work ethically, work ethically. That seems obvious, right? But I think it's important to say this. I think often we know real clearly what is right, and you know real clearly the things that are like really wrong. I think where it's easy to get pulled in um, is where things are gray. Don't grow comfortable with gray. Don't grow comfortable with your Jesus follower. Don't grow comfortable with gray. 
Christian business owner, don't grow comfortable with gray. Jesus following employee, don't grow comfortable with gray. Well, yeah, yeah, I know that's a policy, but if you actually read it like this, I think we can kind of do a roundabout. Yeah, I know that's a law, and that's how tax law works, but if you actually do this, you can kind of get around that. And yeah, I know like you don't take that from the thing, but all the others, don't grow comfortable with gray. As followers of Christ, we are workers who are to live above reproach in every way. And some of us just need to make a decision today, yeah, I'm, I'm done with gray. Yeah, even if everyone else at the office operates like that, I'm done with gray. Even if it affects the bottom line, I'm done with gray. Let's be done with gray. You with me? Let's operate ethically as followers of Jesus. Third thing I'd say, how should I work is this, servant-heartedly. Lord, make us servants. Make us servants. That we would follow Jesus in being servants in our work. Whether our work takes us, you know, we get up in the morning, we stay home all day, let us be servants in how we approach that. Whether it takes us to an office, construction site, whatever it might, let us be servants for the creator, for our colleagues, for our clients. Let us be servants in that regard. And then the last thing I'd say is on this is let's work skillfully. Christians, it's okay for us to have some ambition to become masters of our craft. Not for the glory of our name, but for the glory of God. It is worship to him when we seek to be faithful, to become masters of our craft. Think about the last time you watched a master of their craft. If you walk through a house, you'll notice where I did trim work, and then you'll notice where the professional trim carpenters did work. And every time I'll be trimming out a door or something, I'll look at it and be like, that is not good. And I'll go back in our kitchen, and I'll look how the trim, and I'm like, how do they do that? That it's good for us to seek to be growing in skill, growing in our craft, as, an, as this offering that's going up to the Lord, not for the glory of our name, but for the glory of the Lord. We should grow in being skillful workers for the Lord. So our work is this act of worship, and these are ways we can offer our work as worship. But now we need to talk, especially in our culture, we need to talk about rest as an act of worship. So second point is this. My weekly Sabbath is good and is an act of worship to God. My weekly Sabbath is good and is an act of worship to God. Back uh, to the top of Genesis 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of, the, and all the host of them And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And what's it say? And he what? And he rested. God rested. God rested. Now, let's get into the theology of that. that. God didn't rest because he was tired. He didn't. God doesn't get tired. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He, is, he, he, is never, he never has more energy at one point and less energy later. God rests as a way for us to uh, see the rhythm of that he's built into these seven days. And actually, if you will, uh, uh, flip, with your, flip with me uh, to Exodus 20. And so uh, first book of the Bible is Genesis. Second book of the Bible is Exodus. If you will flip with me to Exodus chapter 20, I want you to see something here right in the Ten Commandments. Right in the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20. 
I want you to see the page space given to, uh, starting in verse 8, giving to the command about Sabbath. Look at the page space given to that. Compare that with like verse 13, you shall not murder. Look at what God, how God wants to unpack this, this command to Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall, do, you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, your livestock or the sojourner who is with you, uh, within your gates. For in, then then look, look at what happens. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. So within the Ten Commandments, the command on Sabbath is hearkening back to the created order. And now, here's where some of you are like, okay, but here's the deal, right? We are not under the law. We're not, on, we're not bound by the law anymore. Okay, now, um, let me just get to the first question here under this point, and then we'll talk more about that. What is Sabbath? What is Sabbath? Here's my definition of Sabbath. Take it, tweak it, let's argue about it later, but here's my definition of Sabbath. God's gift Let's start there. Sabbath is God's gift. Say, thank you, Lord. Sabbath is a gift from God. What would it be like if we went home and we gave a gift to our kids or to our friend or to a spouse, and they looked at us and said, I'm not legally obligated to receive this, to, to accept this. Of course, it's a gift. Sabbath is a gift from God. Sabbath is God's gift of one day out of the week for worshipful resting of hands and heart to enjoy God, each other, and creation. Sabbath, God's gift of one day out of the week for worshipful resting of hands and heart to enjoy God, each other, and creation. It is a gift to us. Jesus talked about Sabbath. In Mark chapter 2, verse 27, these are the words of Jesus. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Context of this, they're walking through a field. Some of Jesus' disciples are picking some heads of grain as they walk through this field on Sabbath. And the religious leaders go bonkers. Work. You're working. You're working. Jesus' point here is, this day wasn't given by God that we would become a slave to it, an oppressive slave. The day was given by God as a gift to man and woman that he created and who he loves. It is a gift that we get to receive. So this leads now to some important things, some important practical things for us. How should I Sabbath? How should I Sabbath? The first thing I'd say about that is this with a plan. You will not unintentionally build a Sabbath into your week. It just won't happen. If you don't plan, if you don't think through it, a, you'll go seven days and it'll all look the same and you'll just trade one work for another and we're going to talk about that later. You have to approach your week with a plan. For our family, our Sabbath is Friday. Uh, many of you, Sunday will work, but Sunday's kind of a crazy day for us. And so Friday is a day we pull away, we unplug, and Friday is to look different than all of the rest of the week. That is always the goal. We have to, Erica and I have to plan for it. The weeks we plan for Sabbath, it's beautiful. The weeks we don't, it just can turn into a, just any other day. You have to approach it with a plan. Okay, what's on that plan? The second thing I'd say about this, no have-tos. No have-tos. No have-tos on Sabbath. 
That's just, that's just something for the rest of your own soul. No have-tos. You're like, how is that even possible? We have six days of the week to get our have-tos done. There's a, there's a day that God gives us where we can rise in the morning and say, there is nothing we have to do today. Now, stage of life has some impact here. Parents, young kids, you got to feed your kids. You still have to change diapers. Stage of life impacts some things here. But we're working to build guardrails around a day where we say this is about worshipful rest to enjoy God, each other, and creation. Uh, another thing I would say, how should I Sabbath? Uh, transition markers are important. What do I mean by transition markers? So if Friday is our Sabbath, I will try to mentally um, hit this marker every Thursday night. Whether Thursday night ends walking out of the office or whether we have an elders meeting and Thursday night ends at like 9 o'clock at night, when, when, when I'm done Thursday, here's what I say to myself. Pencils down. Okay, remember taking the SAT? When the time is up, it didn't matter if you had answered all the questions, you're done. It was pencils down. And so Thursday night, whenever Thursday is done, I will set pencils down and I'm not picking it back up until Saturday morning. And then when, when, when Friday starts, you need to think about a creative way to kickstart your heart, your head and your heart, that this is Sabbath. Uh, one podcaster I listen to, he talks about uh, Sabbath for them starts the same way as a family every single week. A pile of pancakes dripping in syrup. And he said, our kids run downstairs and they're like, Sabbath! <laughs> like it, it marks, this day is different. We linger over a pile of pancakes covered in syrup on this day. That's how we start it. So clear transition markers help engage our head and our heart into the Sabbath day. And then the last thing I'd say about this is make it different. Literally, one of the, way, like one of the things Sabbath means biblically is it's different. It's a day that is different than all the other days of the week. So what, what, what will be different about this? We're not going to rush off to this. We're not going to rush off to this. We're not going to rush off to this. We're, th today is going to be different. Now, just as importantly, we got to talk about a section on how should I not Sabbath? How should we not Sabbath? Here's what I would warn us on this. Um, Sabbath isn't just trading one type of work for another. So how we typically live, right, is like if we, if we go to a job and then we might have a day off here. That, that just turns into all of the have-tos that got to get done. And before we know it, we're just on a seven-day-a-week cycle of all of the have-tos. And, and so many of us, right, this is just kind of easy of how we operate. We have to build those have-tos into the other six days of the week so there is a day that's set apart. Uh, second thing I'd say on this, how should I not Sabbath? Lazily. Um, don't be lazy with your Sabbath. Well, I thought that was the point. No, kind of. But if Sabbath for you is four bowls of ice cream and nine episodes on Netflix, that is not restful for heart or hands. You will be a grouchy grouch by the end of a day like that. It does not reinvigorate, re-energize, or rest you in the least. It goes back to having a plan. But if, but if you hear like, oh, man, you know, mom, he preached on Sabbath. We're supposed to have one day of the week where it's, it's, 
it's PlayStation all day. No, no. It's re-engaging with the Lord, with each other, and with God's creation. That is Sabbath at its best. How should I not Sabbath? This third one's related to it. By missing the point of heart rest. Do things that are restful for your heart. Get outside. Get with each other. Go for bike rides and walks. What is restful for your heart? It's so important that you think about that. This isn't just a day off of going into the office or the construction site or whatever. It's what's restful for the heart. And then the last thing, how should I not Sabbath? By neglecting it all together. By just hearing this message and saying, yep, that sounds great. Or, nope, I don't even agree. I'm going seven out of seven. Uh, Maybe in another season, I'll worry about that. Maybe when the kids leave the house, maybe after this big project, maybe after this, but it's not even realistic. I'm not even going to try it. And here's what I'm ready to make those of you who are right there. I'm ready to make you mad. Are you ready for me to make you mad? Are you ready? I would tell us, and I've been right there with you. When we were starting this church, it was just go, baby. Seven, not just go. I was right there with you. But I would lovingly look at us and say, If you cannot Sabbath one day a week, you're being driven by an idolatrous desire in your life. It's a desire for more. It's a prideful desire that says, if if I don't do it, no one else can do it. And now some of you might legitimately be mad because they're like, no, no, you don't understand. If I don't work seven out of seven, our family doesn't make it. We We don't make ends meet if I don't work seven out of seven. I would lovingly look at you and I would ask you, will you trust your Lord with that? I believe he will stretch six days of your work farther than you can stretch seven. And I know for many of you, that might include a faith step today. To carve out a day of worshipful rest and to trust that he's going to make a way for ends to meet by removing one day of work. And I could quote study after study after study after study after study that throughout history has shown six out of seven days is more productive than seven out of seven days because it's part of the very rhythm of how God created us to work. So I would just challenge you with that. And so Redeemer, stand to your feet. I'm going to send us out of here, but I'm sending us out of here with a challenge, okay? Working six days and Sabbathing one day is a, it's the right rhythm is the weekly rhythm of worship to God. And so, as Jesus followers, let's leave here and let's work this week. Hard and ethically and skillfully and with servants' hearts. Let's be tired at night and seek to become masters of our craft. Let's create and cultivate to the glory of God. Let's worship God in our work But then let's worship God in our rest by setting aside one day every seven where we stop, where it's different, where we worship through rest by enjoying God and enjoying each other and enjoying creation. And so go home and make a plan. And if you're you're thinking right now, I'm not doing it, I would challenge you eight weeks, eight weeks, Sabbath one day every week for the next eight weeks. And I just... See what it does for your walk with the Lord. See what it does for your walk as as a family. See what it does for the health of your own heart. I lay that challenge before you. And if you're wired like that, you see what I just did? You can't not accept the challenge. You're like, dang it, he challenged me. 
I would challenge us to this, and I would watch what God will do in our heart as we enjoy him, enjoy each other, and enjoy his creation. Redeemer, you're loved, and you are sent. We'll see you right here next Sunday.